Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 23. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are back again to discuss uh, another live-action remake. We're picking up where we left off last week. Last week we discussed the Disney classic, 101 Dalmatians, the animated film. And this week we're going to talk about the live-action remake from 1996. This one kind of being like the first of the live-action remakes, even though it's, it's in a totally different series than this. Yeah, that's kind of why we chose to kick off the year with 101 Dalmatians, because this was, I think, unknowingly the first live-action remake. I don't think when they made this film back in the 90s, they intended to redo the entire catalog. But this one was worth doing. Was it? It's worth it's worth discussing because it is the first one. I don't know why this was the one that they chose of all of them. It, I think part of it was that they were trying to show off special effects. This this movie in particular, very heavy on computer animation and, and multiplying those dogs, I think was part of their motivation. Probably. I didn't say it was good and that this was a good idea. You're, you're getting a little bit ahead. I'm just saying I can see why if they were going to choose to do a remake or a retelling they went with Dalmatian because it's obviously you know it's animal heavy um same with well I mean now knowing what the jungle book is and what they ended up doing with that and with the Lion King it's more difficult to do with large animals right and that's probably why because CGI has become so sophisticated you know they're doing them now but this was easy to do as a combination of practical and CGI mhm and typically speaking it's at this point that we would give you all the plot synopsis but the thing with this movie is unlike some of the other live action remakes that we've seen in more recent history and really they're more live action interpretations i mean yes the premises by and large, are very much the same. But they do change certain things and take certain liberties. This movie, for the most part, is a, at times, shot-for-shot and line-for-line remake. Yes. Um, Some of the scenes get dragged out much longer in this than they do in the animated film. And they introduce a couple of different characters, but otherwise, it's exactly the same. So I think we just forego that and jump right into it. Let's do it. Okay. Starting from the very beginning, um, Pongo, poor Pongo, takes that alarm clock to the noggin. I know. They literally clock him. What a horrible way to open. Pongo does too much in this movie. He, he does too much. He has the ability to do too much. He logs onto a computer. He has his own login. He makes the cup of coffee. Listen, if it were really possible to train a dog to do those things, which I mean, I guess they did because they were using a real dog in the movie. But like, I would train our dog to use a coffee machine. Mm-hmm. It's like better I, I than setting an would. alarm. <laughs> um, no, but I, I mean, you make a good point. It's a bit far fetched, but um, I like what they did here because they very easily could have done another narration, but. It wouldn't work 
throughout the rest of the film because if you give Pongo a voice, then he has to talk to other dogs. And that's clearly not what they were going for at all, was a voiceover or like an inner monologue for Pongo. So I thought it was really clever, actually, how they did away with the narration. And they still managed to establish him as the more responsible one because he's setting up Roger's morning for him and waking him up. True. Um, it goes without saying, the best part of this movie are the animal actors. Yeah. The, the dogs are great. And whoever it is that trained them and worked with them is absolutely spectacular. Yeah. They were they were pretty amazing. And I believe they're the same dogs throughout for Pongo and Purdy because they have... Pongo, I think, had a really distinct mark on his eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, you can't tell by the spots, obviously. But... Um, you know, that gets a little too confusing. But um, yeah, those two were the same. The puppies, I'm sure, you know, they had a couple that they worked with and switched out. I like the um, relationship between Anita and Cruella DeVille mm-hmm. in this. I like it. That's that's in one aspect where this film one-ups the original. I like this storyline a lot better, that they're business associates and that they're not friends from college. Because I said in last week's episode, I can't understand why Anita would have spent any time with Cruella DeVille socially. Or how they stayed in touch after school, you know, without social media. It just makes no sense. I can't imagine she'd be like, let me pick up the phone and call Cruella and see how she's doing. Right. Um, Yeah, that I think was definitely the biggest upgrade for this movie. Um, I think it's really smart that you know, obviously Corella's into the fur, but like they brought it into the fashion world. And if you're thinking about when this took place, like that was that was a really big like era. Like, you know, you had all those supermodels supermodels and I feel like everybody was just like super into fashion in the nineties. It's not to say that that's kind of faded out, but like it's it's different with fashion week now versus kind of what it was. I feel like that was just such a big pop culture thing right. in the nineties. This was before the assassination of Versace. Right. Yeah, like so. Yeah, you're right. It, 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 fashion at the time was a big deal, so it modernized the film, but it did give it a better backstory. Right. What I am surprised that they did. Um, so you meet Roger and Pongo first, and then you meet Anita and Purdy. And um, before Purdy goes to, or I'm sorry, before Anita goes to work, um, she's watching the news in the morning, and they do modernize it in that. Um, they say that there's somebody who's going around uh, poaching animals, like at the zoo. And um, I was kind of surprised that they went with poaching as the sort of antagonist in this film, and they didn't go with, like, PETA, especially because they did bring it into the fashion world. And she's, you know, Cruella's killing animals to make to make fur coats and that was a really big deal at the time and what i didn't like about that at all was i thought it was way too over the top if this movie is guilty of one thing to sum up everything that this movie is guilty of it's over the top way too over the top yeah i thought the foreshadowing just clobbered you over the head yeah like even if you didn't know the premise of 101 dalmatians i felt that it was a little too much to a point where the first time we see Cruella, they said that, what was it, a tiger, a white tiger yes. that was poached? I think it was a white Bengal tiger or something. Yeah. When we first met her, like, I kind of wanted to see her wearing it. Like, I kind of wanted them to establish her as 
crazy and evil more so than they did. Because to me, that was a kind of weak entrance for Cruella. And she wears very little fur in the movie. I see her wear feathers. I see her wear sequins. I see her wear very little fur. Yeah. If she lives for fur, she's not always wearing it. That's a really good point. Not to mention, when we do eventually see the tiger pelt, it's like, you could never wear this out. Why do you even want it? Right. It, wearing it out is an admission of guilt. Right. The same way wearing out the the Dalmatian jacket that you're trying to make is an admission of guilt. Right. Well, when we do eventually see the tiger pelt later on, I don't know that that was intended to be a coat. I think she just kind of like wraps herself in it and, you know, drapes it over her. It looks almost more like a. it's going to be a rug or a blanket or yeah, something. Yeah, because I've never seen a fur coat with the head still attached to it. Oh, no? No. Like, don't... Back in the day when they did like the stoles, didn't they sometimes still have the head? Not, uh, not like a full-on fur coat, but uh, I thought sometimes if you had like a mink stole or... I don't know, like Fox, I thought they, I don't know. I thought it was kind of like taxidermied. Oh, I don't know. I, I haven't seen one. Then again, I haven't really researched a lot of mink and fur coats. I'm not really in the target demographic for that. True. <laughs> but but modern day, when you see a modern day fur coat, it's not something that I have seen. No, it's definitely more subtle and, you know, there's there's less and less of them. It's, you know, traditionally Yeah, this looked more like a carpet that you would have seen in the Adams Family House. Speaking of, I mean, thankfully they didn't use real fur for this movie, you know, and I think that's why that you don't really see Cruella wearing a lot of fur. I think that was Disney trying to be as PC as they could remaking this movie. Um, It looks so fake. Yeah. Her outfits. Like, I mean, they're cool. And I love Cruella's office and her home set I think to me it looks like a little Tim Burton which I'm wondering because it was the 90s and it was like so close to Batman if they're just kind of like pulling from that book Um, I think that would have been an interesting take on this film had Tim Burton actually directed it Um, so I think stylistically Cruella was pretty cool but now that I've had more recent viewings I don't know if Glenn Close does it for me I hate Glenn Close in this movie. Really? I think okay. she's way too manic and she's way too over the top. I don't think she's manic enough. No, I, I think she I think she tried too hard to be too crazy. Definitely over the top. I agree with that. But because we're doing a live action remake, I wanted her to be more real. And I think that she's in like this weird limbo of trying to pull from the animation and trying to ground her and it just doesn't work. Like, for example, if they're going to make her so stylized, they definitely hit the nail on the head with the wardrobe. I I think the costumes are really, really cool and they work, albeit there's not a lot of fur. But I almost wish that they had done something with her cigarette. And I know we're talking about a Disney film. I know that they're not going to want to promote smoking, but that smoke was so stylized in the 60s film. It's green. Like, I almost wish they had made her either colored the smoke. That's not that hard. Like, you can buy candy cigarettes and they'll, you know, shoot out different colors. Right. It wouldn't have been that difficult to pull off. Or 
you could have CGI'd it or just like, you know, had her blow smoke rings. Like just do something because that was such a big part of the character to stylize that and make that the part that's over the top, but make the character more real. You know, to touch on what you said just now, though, about it being PC, you're remaking a film. You're remaking a character. You know, it's like if Disney were concerned about showing a character wearing too much fur, why did you make a movie where Cruella DeVille is the main character? She's the main villain. That's her entire purpose is she's skinning puppies to wear a coat. Right. So why uh, you've gotten past the point where she's going to skin puppies why are we now supposed to be sensitive to another fur coat? That's that's the whole point of the character. True. It's like dialing down Batman because he's too angry. Yeah. And and you brought up the Batman thing before. I think this movie is a product. I mean, this movie without question is a product of its time. 1996, a lot of those movies in the 90s were really over the top. Think about what was coming yeah. out around this time. You had Batman Forever, mm-hmm. which was basically a comic book with very bright colors come to film. Right. The Schumacher, his first before he went and ruined the franchise. <laughs> then you had movies like, okay, Mars Attacks was a, really a parody film, but very much over the top. Independence Day, it's an action yeah. film, but really over the top. Dumb and Dumber, over the top with its stupidity, also starring Jeff Daniels, who's Roger in this movie. Right. Armageddon later into the 90s, but but still over the top. But they're very much in the same vein. Right. And if if we learned anything about the mid-90s, it was like the 80s. Subtlety, not really their strong suit. (laughs) So I think that this movie falls victim to when it was made. However, I do think... There were times where I almost felt like Glenn Close was treating this like it was a stage performance rather than a film performance. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Because it wasn't just her speech. Like, her eyes were crazy, which I can live with because Cruella does have those crazy eyes. But she would just shake and be manic. And, like, even when she would laugh and she would double over, it was so exaggerated. I I actually would laugh at it. I couldn't take her seriously as a villain. That's what I'm saying. Like, you're doing the live action remake, so make it more believable. I don't believe that this person would exist in the world. I think there are people who think that way. But, you know, and and yeah, I guess you could make the argument that there are some celebrities that that may behave this way where they just want to throw their money at things and get what they want. So in that regard you know, they did stay true to the character from the animation and that much worked for now. But yeah, there's just something about this performance that's off for me. And I remember when I was a kid and I saw this movie, it was just so cool to see the character come to life. But I don't think Glenn Close lives up to the iconic status of Cruella. Like she just, I I wanted to see, I know you said you thought she was too maniacal. I didn't think she was maniacal enough. Like I almost wanted to see her seem like mentally unstable. I wanted her to have like a tick or like talk to herself or something. Well, that's the thing is you never really see her come unhinged. Like in in, in the original uh, film, Cruella comes in and she's very much animated and she's... 
Um, she's she's an over the top presence naturally, but she's very bombastic in a way. But she only goes over the edge when she doesn't get what she wants. This Cruella Deville, she never flips a switch. She's just crazy from the jump. Right. But in those moments, too, it's like they bring her right to the edge and then they turn it off before she really loses it. Right. And what bothered me probably more than anything about it is that, you know, you were talking before about some of this being shot for shot and line by line. Most of her dialogue is line by line from the animation. But the delivery is all wrong. Yeah. Like you can tell where those moments are and like you know what you've heard before. Um, but I don't know. She just like wasn't angry enough. What, she was just loud. What I did, you know, She's very loud. And what I, what I really disliked is, is that almost every line she delivers is another admission of guilt. Yes. It's almost like I'm wearing your dogs. Woof, woof. Ha, ha, ha. Like... She's basically telling her right then and there, I'm going to skin your dog and I'm going right, to wear it right. because I live for this. And that's that's like a big pitfall of this movie because it takes them forever to pin it on her. Well, it takes everybody except Roger. Roger knows from the jump. Which he does in the animation too. But when it finally dawns on them why what her motive was. They believe that it's her the whole time. They just don't know what her motivation was. Right. I mean, she's in fashion. She's selling coats. Like, why did it take so long to put that together? Right. And I had some notes about that as we move on. I want I want to say one more thing about Cruella Deville in terms of the design of the character. Her hairpiece is dreadful. Yeah. It's bad. And I'm not just saying, not only does it look like a Halloween costume, but the makeup's awful because you can see the seam on Glenn Close's forehead. Yeah. And it kind of like jiggles a little bit in some of her movements. And then she just looks silly, not scary. Like I almost wish they would have just, I mean, okay, I understand if she didn't want to dye her hair. But instead of doing like the crazy twisted styles, and I think that's also a product of the 90s because like it kind of fits with her office and her her home scene. Um I wish they just would have done like half black, half white and like left it down. Mm-hmm. That's something I hope if they're going to do the um, the Cruella movie with Emma Stone, which it sounds like they're they're like definitely moving ahead with it. Right. I hope they address that. Yeah, I don't think that they have a release date for that yet, but it sounds like it's full steam ahead. One last thing on Cruella before we move on. Um, I also miss the car. She does have like a really snazzy car. But it's not the same as the one that she drives in the animation. It's not quite as long. I, I compared it last week to the Batmobile. And funnily enough, you want to talk about pulling from the Batman book? How many times were we going to see a dark, wet road on a Dutch angle, her taking a curb and kicking up leaves, just like you would see in Batman? There were so many Dutch angles in this movie. Watching her drive that car, some of those shots looked like they were trying to shoot the Batmobile. Yeah. From those early Burton, from the first two Batman movies. Yeah. From, what was it, 89 and 92. Batman and then Batman Returns. I think so. Um, But no, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I'd say 
it, it was almost a ripoff. Forget drawing an influence. They did it so many times. I was just, I was waiting for, for to, to see the fire spit out of the back of the car, <laughs> like the Batmobile. Yeah, I mean, the, the car worked for London. It definitely fit in the setting, but it just didn't fit the character. I think it was like too traditional. Right. As this movie went on, I felt that it was less about the dogs and more about the, the situations that you could put Horace and Jasper and later Cruella into. This movie was far too much like a Home Alone. I felt like I was watching Home Alone meets 101 Dalmatians. I agree. Um, I mean, again, a 90s movie. It was on the heels of Home Alone, so I can definitely see where they drew. Like, I almost wished it was Marvin Harry. That's how close they were at some points. Like, yeah. I'd be fine if, like, this was Home Alone 3, you know? Right. It was our introduction to Hugh Laurie, actually. Yeah. Which I had forgotten about until we saw this recently. Yeah, I feel like it's a much lesser known role, but, like, yeah, it is a pre-house, almost unknown Hugh Laurie. And um, Horace is... um. I believe the actor's name is Mark Williams. He later goes on to play Mr. Weasley. Right. In the other franchise <laughs> from the other studio. Um, I agree with what you're saying where it, it does transition to the humans and it is less focused on the dogs. But here's here's the thing. And this is, I actually think, one of the movie's strong suits is that they don't have the dogs talking. So the dogs cannot carry this film. Um, so I think that they were really smart inserting a few more scenes with the humans. However, you said it dragged before. I a thousand percent agree with it. That's the problem is because you can't focus on the dog so much. The storyline does drag out because they gave the humans a few more scenes. And the scenes that they gave them were just way too long. Like Roger right. and Anita, their introduction in the park I have no problem with him getting flipped into the water off his bicycle and Pongo chasing after them. I have no problem with him grabbing um, Purdy and thinking it's Pongo. Although, here's the thing. It, it It's what gives them their introduction because of that confusion. Because Roger grabs Purdy thinking it's Pongo. And as they're conversing, they come to realize they each have Dalmatians and oh, we have so much in common now. But... As Roger's walking up to um, Purdy and he's speaking to Anita, it is so clear that Pongo is standing right there. Right. Right. Agreed. But how did he not see him? And they really don't look that much alike. No. I mean, okay, granted, he's just fallen in the pond. He's freezing. But even still, that's a big reach. I um, I want to talk about that whole scene for a little bit. Yeah, um, it's really bad. Yeah. I... I believe the actors, I like the casting choice for both of them, for both of them, uh, Jolie Richards for Anita and yep. uh, Jeff Daniels for Roger. And I mean, he was, you know, king of the 90s back then between that and Dumb and Dumber. Right. I mean, he's a he's a great actor. Yeah. And wasn't he? He was Fly Away Home, too. Right. Mm -hmm. That was another big 90s movie. Yep. Um, so I, I really like the casting choice and I, I believe them together. And... I like some of the dialogue between them, but otherwise they just force this so quickly. I mean, their courtship was faster than Snow White's. 
Yeah. It was ridiculous. They were basically engaged before they even kissed for the first time. No, they do. It's a throwaway line. She, there's a couple of throwaway lines. Anita, um, she's in a conversation with Cruella and uh, Cruella is afraid that because she's such a talented fashion designer, another designer or another company is going to scoop her up. And Anita says that would never happen. Um, I don't want to leave here. The only reason I would leave is if I started a family. I'm not going to leave from other work or whatever, um, which does come into play later. So like that was kind of a smart choice that they made. Um, so when she eventually falls in the pond, they don't make them fall into together. Like the dogs don't tangle them up and then everybody goes in. Uh, Roger does it first. And then Purdy trying to get back, back to Pongo, Uh, takes off with Anita on the bike and Anita ends up in the pond as well. Um, So later back at Roger's apartment, they're drying everything off. They're sitting by the fire and she says, thank you for rescuing me. And he was trying to give her mouth to mouth resuscitation, but she started kissing him. Um, So between her planting the seed that she eventually wants a family with Cruella, I think she was like falling into that single and desperate role. Right. Let's let and and it was I have a note here about that mouth to mouth resuscitation thing. Why did he have to give somebody who was splashing in the water and visibly not drowning in a shallow pond mouth to mouth resuscitation? Well, maybe that's it, too. Maybe he wanted to kiss her. But like, put that aside. If you know anything about CPR, you compress first, then you do mouth to mouth. So like. If he doesn't have his hands on your chest first, why do you think that you're... Why Why did you start kissing him? Right. Um, but what I'm talking about is when he's like, would you like another cup of marriage? I mean tea. And she's like, you Ugh. said marriage. He was like, well, Ugh. if you want... Well, I will. You will? Yeah, I will. It's like... Garbage. Did you just get in... Are you engaged now? Like, Garbage. This whole thing is very confusing to me. Like there was no passage of, of time, no montage right. that showed any sort of courtship. Like at least in the last movie, it was implied that some time had passed. Right. Because um, they did, their whole reasoning was that the dogs were going to be brokenhearted when they separated them. Right. So like, why don't you go on some double dates first? Yeah. I don't, no, I'm sorry, but that's, that's just garbage screenwriting. And the whole pursuit of each other in the park is is awful. That's what I'm saying. Like, there was some good banter back and forth between them where I believe them as a couple or, like, the reluctant couple where they don't want to admit that they really like each other. But then, yeah, cut to another hour and it's, do you want another cup of marriage? Oh, God, it's so bad. And when they're, when they're so riding their bikes in the park and he's kind of trying to get out of the situation because, what was it he said? pretty girls make fools in the world or all pretty girls produce are fools something it was a line similar to that where he they turn us into fools right so roger even though he liked her was trying to avoid her but not and she was following him but not it's oh and you're here it's like you guys are just riding your bike in a circle literally mm-hmm. riding bikes in a circle kind of pursuing each other It's like the whole thing is just sloppy and messy and cheesy and bad. It's just bad. And at the at the root of this, none of the humor in this movie is any good. It's not funny. No, not even like 
Oh, it was a 90s film funny. No, like, listen, Ace Ventura, which I've mentioned before, and movies like, we talked about Dumb and Dumber before, and Down Periscope, stupid movies, but they're still funny. Right. They're not going to win an Oscar. They're dumb, but they're fun, and they're funny. Nothing about this is funny. Nothing about this is even endearing. No, not with their relationship. And what makes me even more upset about it is that, you know, I had said before that they really do have to focus on the humans because the dogs can't carry this film. This is where you could have let the film breathe and focus on their relationship developing for a little while. I would have rather seen that play out than, you know, some of the the added scenes with Horace and Jasper or... um, you know, even some of Roger's video game stuff, which we really haven't hit on yet. Um, that I think was a smart choice. Yeah, I was, like that. Yeah, that they changed Roger's vocation in this to a video game developer. Um, definitely a smart idea because they modernized it, but they still gave him like that strug- struggling artist kind of role because he had to sell a video game. And I love that the video game that he's doing, uh, it's about a dog catcher, so they do put the animated Pongo in, which I thought was pr- a nice nod to the original. Yeah. Um, trying to pitch this idea to a 10-year-old kid who's supposed to pick the next big video game. Yeah. Okay, but I but but of all the things, that's what bothers me the least. Right, but that's where I'm saying I would have rather seen their relationship develop a little bit than these scenes with the stupid kid. And I couldn't figure out why this American was living in the UK yes. as a struggling artist. Yes, especially because he alludes to his financial problems several times before, right before he meets Anita. Yeah, I, I mean, is, is it that you needed? And because he's the only American in the movie. Right. Is it because you didn't want to do a movie with all Brits? Did you think it wouldn't connect to an American audience? Did you ha- or did you just like Jeff Daniels that much? Like it it doesn't bother me. He could have been British, he could have been American. I'm fine either way, but explain what he's doing there. Right. Right. He definitely there. needed a little bit of backstory. You know, like you see and I think you you see it in 90s movies I think you saw it in 80s movies where you had Americanized characters or American characters living in foreign countries but were like led to believe that they were always living there right I mean the only thing I can chalk it up to is maybe and and I really don't remember um, is that maybe video games were big over here but not as much so in Europe yet and Maybe it was easier to make a set. I I don't know. It's a lot to imply. I was going to say, that's a total reach. And I'm spending way too much time talking about this right now. (laughs) Like, they should have just explained it. Right. I I feel like, with the exception of you seeing that they both end up together, there's no character development. No. For either of them. No. Except, I think Anita's comes out a little bit in the scene with Cruella. You know, kind of shows that she's a hard worker. She's a talented designer, but her life is about her career. She wants a family. Right. What I also what I do like about Roger, other than I like Jeff Daniels and I thought that he did a good job. I think he did as good a job as he could with this character. Mm. I don't blame the the only actor or actress I blame for anything is Glenn Close. Mm. Um, I think the rest of them pretty much did what they were supposed to do. I think they did what was written for them. I think Horace and Jasper, this movie was written by John Hughes, 
which we only realized last night after yeah, watching the movie yeah. again. Clearly, he's drawing from his own influence. Right. So I think they were supposed to be a Marvin Harry. Um, but I think that the rest of the cast did what they were supposed to do. I think they just acted out what was on paper and how they were directed to act. But I like the fact that he is very stern with Cruella from the moment he meets her. Yeah. It takes away from the character development of the first film where Roger is kind of shaking and his voice is quivering, but he's standing up to her and Mm -hmm. you see him starting to become stern. He's coming out of that comfort zone. He's coming out of that shell. Right. You lose that, but in this case it works. Agreed. But not much else works past there. The whole scene with the Skinner, that we're introduced to a new character. Rather than Horace and Jasper doing the the skinning of the dogs, she has a Skinner whose name is Skinner. Again, garbage writing. <laughs> um, it's, I, I, there's some things I just can't get past in this movie and never will. Um, he, uh, he, he's a new character and he's got this scar on his throat so he doesn't speak so um the whole scene with Horace and Jasper where Hugh Laurie is saying don't ask him about the scar don't talk to him then he opens the door and Hugh Laurie goes to talk to him but you you just broke your first rule or one of your top rules and then um what Mark Williams yes oh look at that awful scar like it like this is something that I would ex- expect to see in Austin Powers. It Another is. Another film that came out around the same time. The mole. Right. It's exactly the same thing. But same same time period, same over the top. Right. But Austin Powers is, is a film that's supposed to be that way. Exactly. Yeah. You, you don't go in to Austin Powers expecting realism. Right. Here's, here's the thing. Did we need Skinner? Not necessarily. Did we need Horace and Jasper to be like Marvin Harry? No. However, here's the thing. If I didn't need any of that for the remake, but being that they chose to put it in, it does kind of work. And here's why. You can't decide to make Marv... Marvin Harry, listen to me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't decide to make Horace and Jasper goofy and then expect them to pull off this horrible thing, killing the puppies. Right. Um, you know, we did say it in the animation review is that they're the worst villains ever, you know, because they're they're just too goofy to pull this off. So now that you're putting this in the context of real people, if you're going to make them do the dirty work you have to make them more mean. And that really doesn't play well against Cruella. So to drag in the third party, I kind of get it. They're not as bad as those two doofuses from Hocus Pocus that we talked about back in October. Oh, God. But they're close. Yeah. They're close. The difference is when they did when they did Horace and Jasper in the animated film, I thought that they were good comic relief. Here, they're just annoying. Right. And that, see, that's what I'm saying. You can't have the comic relief also be the antagonist. So that's why they added Skinner. And I'm sure they did that to, like, drag out the the film a little bit and give, 
you know, have have more time focused on the humans. Um, but it just I, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of it was unnecessary, especially your favorite line of the movie. Yeah. Before we get to that, though, I want to point out one other thing about Skinner talking about over the top with the foreshadowing and trying to force narratives when you don't have to force a narrative. The whole reason why he's a Skinner and the whole reason why he has the scar was because he was attacked by a dog. Right. It's like, oh, so this is the perfect crime for him? Yeah, it it was so on the nose. But by far, my favorite line in this movie, it's probably the worst line that we've ever reviewed in the history of this show up to this point. We're 23 episodes in. We're almost we're almost halfway through our first year. Yeah. Doing this. When they're there and the line is um I don't like being amongst all these dead animals. It gives me this is the line. It gives me a shrinking winky. That's Horace that delivers that line. It's like the episode of Seinfeld where where they talk about, I just got out of the pool. It's like a baby turtle. <laughs> like that's, I, admittedly, I didn't catch that line the first time that we watched this. Because no. we do watch these films a couple of times in the days leading up to our reviews. It wasn't until last night. And I had to pause the movie, rewind it, turn up the volume and go back and listen to it a few times to make sure that I wasn't creating something in my head. I get that you're trying to establish Horace as a weaker character and show that he's afraid, but you could have said heebie-jeebies. I mean, you really didn't need the line at all, just the way that he's looking at everything in Skinner's laboratory or whatever it is, but um, like, why that? I just think the line is wildly inappropriate. And I'm not somebody that's easily offended no. by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, was that your nod to the adults in the audience? Well, it it missed. Yeah. I, I Like, I, I get, you know, these are supposed to be family films. There's something in it for everyone. But if that was the line you were trying to get a laugh from, you've sorely missed. Um... Fast forwarding a little bit, you mentioned before, you touched on how long it took them to figure out that it was Cruella, and I don't think it took them very long. I think Roger knew from the jump, Right. but Anita takes a second, and she has to think and goes, grab me my portfolio. Did you forget what you designed? Did you forget... That Cruella said it was like she was going to wear your dog. Right. What about any of this confused you? Awful. It was a gripe I had with the animated film. Mm. This was their opportunity to fix it, and they made it worse. Right. Well, in the animation, it's, it's the same. Roger knows the whole time. But Anita believes that because Cruella called and she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I heard about the puppies. Roger believed that was an admission of guilt and, and Anita didn't buy into that. Um, here, they both know it was her. They're just trying to look for the smoking gun to pin it on her. How you forgot that? Okay. I mean, I know what they say about pregnancy brain and whatnot. 
But, you know, because we do learn that Anita is pregnant at the same time Purdy is. Um, obviously, though, the gestation period for a dog is a lot quicker. Um, yeah, I don't know how you could overlook that. It's it's just more sloppy screenwriting. It's 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 just another drop in the bucket of problems with this film and where it's just a complete swing and miss. And the CGI is awful. Now, the C- when they CGI'd all of the puppies, because some of it is, when they put them all together, that's very good. Right. But, and some of the very subtle CGI, like they give Pongo some facial expressions, yeah, yeah. like when he raises his eyebrows, that's done fairly well. Mm-hmm. But the scene where they're escaping from, what was it, um, Hell Manor or Hell, Hell, Hell Hall. Hall. The DeVille Hell Mansion, Hall. whatever it is. Hell yeah. Hall. Yeah. When they're escaping and the dogs are going down, they're, they're almost going down like a gutter. It's, first off, when you see certain angles from it, it's like a seven foot drop. Yeah. But they make it look like they go on for 50 or 60 feet. Yeah. And the CGI is terrible. Like it looks like a video game. But like a bad video game. Right. I mean, here's one thing that I think that they did do a little bit better. Um, In the animation, when the dogs get rescued by Sergeant Dibbs, he takes them upstairs. So you're going further into the house and he just hides all the puppies under a bed. And Horace and Jasper find them very, very easily. Uh, when and it always bothered me because the colonel was outside. So like, why didn't you just feed them out the way that you broke into the house? Um, they did address that here because once they find the missing puppies, um, they get right back out. And I think where they were keeping them made a lot more sense too. Instead of um, having them just kind of roaming with Horace and Jasper while they're watching TV. Uh, Horace and Jasper are getting ready to go to sleep for the night and they're upstairs in like this library type room. So when uh, when the cat finally, or in this case, it's not Sergeant Tibbs, it's a dog. It's another dog uh, who I think is supposed to be the colonel. Uh, finds them in the library. It's actually really cute the way they're like popping out from under books. And it, it was, I think it was just better. Like that was a smarter choice. It did make it more realistic. And, you know, he basically shows them the way that he came in and out they go. Yeah. Um, the, the, the original, by all means, is not a musical. However, we have one of the most iconic Disney songs of all time in that film. And that's where, if I have any issue with them making Roger a video game developer over a musician, this is the issue that I have with it is you're missing that song. Yeah. I know they play little, like, snippets of, like, the verse as she enters and exits the room a couple of times, but I don't understand how you have a film called 101 Dalmatians made by Disney and you don't have the song Cruella DeVille. Yeah. Even if it was used, like, in his video game. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, they probably could have done some kind of like throwaway with the radio or something like that. But yeah, I definitely think that um, the music was definitely lacking in the, like any kind of soundtrack at all, really. Um, I'm not saying that I would have rather the characters break out into song and go the full musical route. But um, 
there there were a lot of things that they could have done to incorporate music that they did. Like even just like when Nanny's cleaning up or whatever, they could have put it on. That, actually, that would have worked really well if they had her listening to the radio and then Horace and Jasper showed up to take the puppies. Yeah. She still put up a good fight, though, by the way. I she like did. that they carried that through to this one. Yeah. Um, and the the movie ends with Roger. He couldn't sell the video game in the beginning because the kid didn't buy the dog catcher as a villain. So what did he do? He made Cruella DeVille the villain, sold the video game, and then they buy what ends up being the Dalmatian plantation that they sing about in the at the end of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see... It's a huge mansion in the country. So that must have been one hell of a video game that he could afford that house. Yeah. But just when you think the movie wasn't subtle enough, (laughs) 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 they painted the house with Dalmatian spots. Yeah. It was pretty bad. This moment of silence that you have experienced is not a missed edit, folks. This is that I have no words. I have no words for this movie anymore. Well, we need to come up with some because they can't see your head in your hands right now. Bad? Disappointing. I think yeah. if I'm going to sum this movie up in one word, it's disappointing. There is one thing. I'm not going to say that they did it better, but I think the ending works for this before the spotted mansion. Um, I like how... Um, it wasn't just, I mean, in the animation, Pongo and Purdy make it back to London with the help of other dogs and, you know, the cows in the barn. So they, they did that here. Um, they just added a couple more animals to destroy Horace and Jasper's car. Um, you know, and it was it was a lot of animals working together. Um, that's not, I mean, to, <laughs> that's not what I mean to say worked better. Um what I like instead of Pongo and Purdy being the driving force to lead the puppies home is that because we've been focused on the humans now for so long, once they get the puppies away from Hell House and then back to the village, uh, they don't do the soot trick, uh, which I thought was really smart. I think that that would have been, aside from too difficult to pull off, um, I just don't think it would have worked in this context at all. Not without them being able to converse and scheme together. Exactly. Um, So instead, they're rescued by the police and driven back to London. And I thought that that was a smart choice to tie it back up and involve the humans helping them. I mean, you know, in the animation, it's wonderful because the dogs find their way home. And that's the most important thing is that they make it home. Um but I think this was just a better choice that worked for this film because you're focusing on the humans more to get them home. And at this point, you've already taken out all of the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, do you have anything else on this one? Because I, I just don't have that much else to say except that for me, there have been live-action remakes that we've loved. There have been ones that we've disliked and there have been ones that have kind of floated in between um but i haven't walked away from one going man that was terrible the way i've walked away from this one saying it's terrible i i just feel like if you're going to go out on a limb and you're going to retell a classic story especially one that that disney has made because we know when it comes to those I use the word a lot, but 
those Disney classics. Mm. If you're going to go ahead and tackle one of those, you best do it the right way. I, I can't get over how poor this movie was. And it still is. And it's not a movie that, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and you'll hear it, it quote unquote wasn't right for its time. Let's go back, and we've referenced it a few times, but it's the first example I can come up with, Batman Returns. Mm. Batman Returns, when that movie came out, audiences were kind of hot and cold on it because they said it was too dark and it was too violent. A modern audience recognizes Batman Returns as the brilliant film that it is. It's still the same movie, but it wasn't the right movie at that time, which is why Burton came off of that film and Joel Schumacher came in to do a much more lighthearted Batman Forever and then really sunk the Titanic with Batman and Robin. Right. That movie aged well. This movie has gotten worse with age. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it was completely awful because I think they had a lot of hits and misses, but in equal measure. I mean, they did address some of the problems that we had that we talked about last week with the original. Like, for example, too, one of our, our, we didn't really hit on this. Um, I had mentioned before that Anita is telling Cruella how she wouldn't leave that job um, unless she started a family. So it planted a good seed because later it explains how Cruella knew that they were having puppies, that they were starting a family because that was a big question mark in the animation. So I think it did address some pitfalls with the story. Um, But the attempts to make it over the top comical were too much. And I also, you know, we didn't really talk about this. I remember seeing the trailer um, for this movie and all of the um, merchandise that went along with it, like they were really, really pushing this one. Like I remember um, what I, one of the things that I like that they address in this too is not all of Pongo and Purdy's puppies are named in the original. Right. And in this one, they're not all named either. Like you see Lucky, but they don't focus on like Rolly and Patch and the ones that you know. This one was mostly Fidget whizzer and dipstick and right. i remember those being marketed at the time like they did like little plush toys and i think they did i want to say they did like a robotic kind of puppy like it was plushy but like it moved yeah i think so you know so this was a big deal that they they had a live action remake of the classic film because there was nothing else like it at the time they had never really attempted something like this yeah and it did well at the box office i mean ultimately in terms of making money it accomplished its goal but this movie has no rewatchability the only reason i i watched it once as a kid mm-hmm. uh i rented it on vhs because we just didn't get around to seeing it in the theaters watched it once didn't like it returned the tape didn't buy it in my eyes that was the only time i was ever going to watch it To be clear, I only watched it again so that we could have this episode. Mm. I'll probably never watch this movie again. I remember seeing it in theaters with my family. Um, You know, it's not like we were dying to see it, but my brother did love 101 Dalmatians. So, like, you know, it was kind of a fun night out that we were looking forward to. Over the years, it hasn't had much rewatchability for me. And like I said, I, I think there were a couple of smart choices made to make the film work in this context, but there's just far too many misses. And I think that they relied 
too much on cool visuals and not enough on story in this case. I understand that. But when you're you're doing a remake of 101 Dalmatians, you have to rely on something better than just cool visuals. The fact that they totally lapsed on the story here, let's, in my opinion, it's, it's just not forgivable. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's kind of like we brought Cruella to life. She looks cool. And that was about it. Yeah. You know where they haven't lapsed, though? Leading to our news of the week. The new Spider-Man trailer. Oh, my God. It, it's We're finally going to have a good Spider-Man sequel. I almost... I, I kind of don't know what to do with myself. I know. Like, I'm afraid to get my hopes up. I mean, he he's not going to cry. He's not going to be too nasty and snarky. The movie just looks so good. And you have the appearance by Jon Favreau. And clearly, him and Marissa Tomei have a little thing going on. At least they hint at it. So I think there's just... There's so much comedy to be had there. I can't wait until that movie comes out later this year because I thought Homecoming was really good. Yeah, I liked Homecoming, but this this entire franchise with all of it with all of its reboots, it's it's like Hollywood marriages to me. Like they just keep trying and falling apart. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. But I, I right now it looks like they finally got it right. It took a long time, but it looks like they finally got it right. Uh, speaking of getting something right. The other big rumor this week is that Hunchback of Notre Dame, because we haven't done enough live-action remakes yet, is going to be remade live-action with Josh Gad playing Quasimodo. You want to talk about getting it right. That's perfect casting. I mean, they've been alluding to this one for quite a while because I think Alan Menken had posted something about the music on one of the anniversaries. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think he's been tied to it. It's funny because Josh Gad had posted the other day a picture of himself standing in front of Notre Dame. And I meant to tag you on it. And now I really wish I had because... I saw it and I was like, oh my God, that would be so perfect. And then they did do a write-up about it in The Hollywood Reporter, but Disney has not announced it yet. So I don't know if we can really invest in this until Disney announces it. But I mean, I don't think this article coming out plus him posting that picture would have been completely arbitrary. No, I mean, is it is it possible that it was a total coincidence? It's possible, but I just, I don't think that that's likely at all. No, and he's like such a Disney Uber fan. Mm -hmm. He takes it so seriously. I don't think that he just threw up that picture without, you know, he has to know what the consequences are. I can't wait to see how they do Festival of Fools in live action. Oh, that's going to be so awesome. I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking I just want to hear him sing out there because I love that song. Yeah. Either way, I mean, on the surface, it seems great. I, I don't think they're going to get it wrong, but you never know. We'll see what happens. Um, we had a contest going on the last couple of weeks. We did. Um, which we are finally able to draw the winner from. Uh, the winner of this contest gets a couple of the uh, Disney World park maps from the holiday uh, season. Thanks to Average Joe Orlando, our friend on Instagram, for sending those in. And a copy of The Finest Hours, the uh, incredible rescue uh, story featuring Chris Pine. And we talked about him when we did the uh, review of Into the Woods with Big Fat Panda. Um, so we've gone ahead and thrown all of our entries into the magical box. And the winner of the prize pack is Will Johansson. Will, you've been with us for such a long time. Really, you've been, you've been with us from the start. Yeah, and he's really active on our social media. So thanks, Will, for all the support. 
congratulations to you. We're going to reach out to you shortly through social media to get your contact information so we can get that shipped out to you. Thank you for everybody who entered, and thank you everybody for joining us this week. In spite of the fact that I thought this movie was a stinker, I still had a good time talking about it. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, we do want to start doing more of the compare and contrast the animation to the live action remake. So let us know what you want to see. We've got a couple to choose from. We've got Beauty and the Beast. We've got Alice in Wonderland. We've got Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin. Uh, So hit us up on social media and let us know what you'd like to see. Yeah, you can do that on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Monoreal Radio. We thank our very special sponsors over at Amazon.com. Go to www.monorealradio.wixsite.com slash home, and you get links to the Amazon Instant Video for every film that we review here. If you're looking to plan a trip to the parks this year, definitely get in touch with me at j.zolezzi at magicalvacationplanner.com. There are a lot of deals that have just been announced for the spring and summer. Uh, so I'm happy to talk discounts on your next trip to the parks. Yeah, for all of you who are complaining about the prices went up, here's your way to, to get around that. Yeah. At least a little bit. <laughs> for Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.